Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I'm your host, Gabe Warren, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and awarding our favorite films of each year starting in 1928. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules we always follow. We'll be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar Ghosts, too. The amount of categories will also grow over time as this sort of tie into the Academy's evolution over time. In yet another entry in our Gene Arthur miniseries, we'll be discussing the 1937 melodrama History is Made at Night with returning guest Owen Daly. They are responsible for the Irish Boy Awards blog, so welcome back, Owen. It's such a pleasure to have you back on here. Yeah, no, thank you for having me back on. Um, it's actually it's quite fun that we're discussing this film. Because I think we discovered, I think last time we recorded, which was about yes. the 1937 year, how much we really liked this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it, this episode will be a great opportunity for us to expand upon our thoughts on the movie because it is a wild movie. And we'll get into why later. But first off, um, uh, first off, how are you doing today? How's your day been? Um, it's been good, you know, just um, it's getting towards the end of the year. This very long year of 2021 is finally coming to yes. an end soon. <laughs> well, I'm somewhere between like, wow, 2021 is over already. And wow, it, it's been longer than I thought. And it's just, wow, time is passing by. I'm kind of terrified. And I've just been... Um, I just started on my official 2021 watch through where I'm just watching the major films of 2021. I just got done finishing um, King Richard. And I also watched Belfast last night. So I look forward to just uh, finishing through with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely getting into that time of year. And um, obviously with the New York Film Critics and National Board of Review just announced yeah. their winners this past week. It's yeah. starting the all best over film again. Pick is inspired. Their best picture, this, the, their best film pick was inspired. Drive my car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've not had the opportunity to see but, yet. Me neither, but I've heard so many good things about it. I look forward to seeing it. Mm -hmm. So do I. So, um, I normally, uh, on these episodes, on these like bonus episodes, I normally ask uh, the guests what were their favorite films of a certain year. But <laughs> I think we already kind of went through that on our 1937 episode. But if you would like to like remind everyone what your favorite films of 1937 were, uh, like top five. Yeah, I mean, my top five, um, I guess, in order ranking up towards number one um, Stage Door The Awful Truth A Star is Born Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and then my favourite movie of the year uh, Leo McCary's Wake Make, Make Way for Tomorrow which is just a film that the more people who see it the more people realise how special the film is and how kind of unlike anything it was from the time I mean the fact that the film followed two 
elderly characters and it was a romance between the two of them it's just so something that you wouldn't get during the time or even now and even if it was now it would be a much smaller movie than this film was at the time yeah those are all great movies and often strikingly influential and yeah make way for tomorrow just can't be beat for that top spot in my uh, in my point of view, it's just one of the classic melodramas, and it's just been so influential on many other movies since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it must always be mentioned how Liam McCary kind of, in this year alone, how he managed to make both Make Way for Tomorrow and The Awful Truth is just wild they're such different yeah, movies two yet they're completely both so... different movies mm-hmm. and they're just both so wonderful as well but on i honestly think they could work as companion pieces mm-hmm. like if you, if you were to show them back to back oh yeah definitely and they're both very kind of top top of the list when it comes to the genres that they are yeah can't mention the respective genres without mentioning them. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So, before we get to the film we're going to talk about, I'd like to ask you some questions about Gene Archer. Like, first off, what was your, what movie was your introduction to Gene Archer? What was the first movie you saw with Gene Archer in it? Um, Yeah, I was going through the letterbox entries earlier today, and I think the first thing that I saw her in was A Foreign Affair. Um, I I think a lot of my of recent times watching of films from past years started with the film experiences supporting actress Smackdowns. And I, I think it was when they were doing their 1948 year, I had been watching a lot of 90, 1948 films concurrently. And that happened to be a film that came out that year. Um, it's a, I think it's a Billy Wilder movie with her Marlene Dietrich and then I can't remember the male lead but I just remember she had such an interesting presence unlike kind of any starlet of the time that I'd seen and while at that moment I didn't become um I didn't notice myself be, becomes totally obsessed with each new movie that I watch I was always like who is this person every time and then quickly, as I watch more of her movies, I realized, no, I really do love this actress and she's just wonderful and basically everything that I've ever seen her in. Yeah, I think my first introduction to her may have been Mr. D's Ghost of Town. Well, first off, A Foreign Affair is a wonderful, really Wilder movie. And more people should be talking about it and the pairing with Marlene Dietrich. But, yeah, my first introduction to her, I think I said this already on the on the previous episode, but it would have been um, uh, Mr. D's Goes to Town, which is honestly one of my favorite Capra movies. And one of Gary Cooper's better performances. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's I'd say, one of the first movies that I saw of her as well. And... Um after 
a foreign affair. And while she is tasked with a very hard, she's she's given a very hard task of acting opposite um, Gary Cooper and yet managing to make the kind of romance between the two of them work. And she does kind of pull a lot out of him. I mean, he's personally not a favorite of mine when I watch a lot of his films, but he's watchable in that. And I think a lot of that has to do with her and how believable she sells his performance as both his equal lead and also kind of supporting him through. Yeah, definitely. So, the movie that Gene, uh, the Gene Oldman movie we're talking about today, um, is going to be History is Made at Night, and just pulling up the um, premise on IMDb, the obsessive and jealous shop owner Bruce Bale does not accept the divorce wife Irene Bale achieved in London, so he hires his driver, Michael Browski, to forge adultery with Irene in Paris to make the degree, make the decree null. However, she is rescued by the head waiter, Paul Dumond, who punches Michael and locks Bruce in his private eyes in a locker, and they spend a wonderful night together in the restaurant Chateau Bleu, where Paul and his best friend, Chef Caesar, work, and they fall in love with each other. Meanwhile, Bruce kills Michael and blackmails Irene, blaming Paul and forcing her to return to return with him in New York. But Paul does not give up on Irene and moves to New York with Caesar trying to find her love. Yeah, it, it's you certain. Say... Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, it's certainly a wild start to the movie. Um, <laughs> there's a lot that goes on in the first half an hour of the movie um, I think going in you don't expect a, a movie set and sold as a romantic comedy drama with this title to be so out there um, at the beginning but somehow I was just really entertained the entire time even with such dark things as the kind of set up affair that um the husband character you mentioned tries to accomplish and then finding gene arthur and charles boyer so affect have such good chemistry together and really sell the instant attraction between their two characters yeah um it's definitely i would say it's very much as transgressive as that synopsis would suggest. And it goes through so many tones in a surprisingly fluid manner. Like it goes from romantic, almost screwball comedy to this more lush operatic melodrama. And not to give it away right now, but it goes into full-on survival disaster action at the end. And I think it's a credit to the director, Frank Borzage, uh, um, Frank Borzage, Frank Borzage. Let me look up how to, like. I'm just looking up how to pronounce that. Give me
So I think it's Frank. I'm just gonna go with Frank Borzage. Um, so I think it's a credit to the director Frank Borzage that um, he's able to handle that tone so well. But I think it's also down to Jane Arthur's presence. I think that she's one of those rare actresses who could just so effortlessly switch between differing tones and feel natural no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that, as you mentioned, there's so much kind of different genres at play here. You need an actor as capable as Jean Arthur to believably sell the kind of major tonal shifts. Like a lot of my problems with some features that take swings like this one try that this one succeeds in doing is that it comes, it ends up being just a total mess, a total kind of the end does not justify the means. But this film, I think mainly due to Jean Arthur at the center of it just really works because she kind of understands every part of the movie and really sells it in the moment and then culminates in such an effective way as well. Yeah. And I also think that a big part of this movie hinges on its romance and that would not work without proper chemistry and I think Charles Boyer makes Charles Boyer um, when you first think of him in his persona he doesn't seem like like an obvious um, pairing with Gene Arthur but he works really well with him Oh, with her. Um, in part because he is able to use his persona to hint at some slight darkness, but also a lightness of touch. Yeah, definitely. Somewhat of a mischievous side. Yeah, definitely. I think. Charles Boy is one of those performers who, as the more things I watch of his, it's just, he plays in a similar universe in basically every part, but somehow there's always one different element and he can be really effective in those different parts. I mean, I think probably the most known role of his, I would imagine, is his turn in Gaslight and where he plays kind of a similar character yet it's turned to such a more sinister note that you despise him throughout but somehow in this movie while playing a kind of similar matinee idol romantic lead it's not it's obviously not as sinister it's much more heartfelt and romantic and really he's such a great screen partner for Gene Arthur to act opposite and that's why I think while she's excellent, his work must also not be um, overlooked. Yeah, definitely. There are, um, on this topic, there are certain movies from this old Hollywood era where 
you can tell that a certain romantic patterns are supposed to generate this great romantic chemistry, but the balance feels uneven and you just don't get that chemistry. But, and I'm thinking something like All This in Heaven too, with Charles Boyer and Betty Davis, or that never felt like the romance came to life. In part because I felt like they were more busy trying to upstage each other. But again, there's with history is made at night, there's a naturalism in the romance that makes it so compelling to watch. And isn't that what like sells a great romance? Yeah, absolutely. I think an a part that really sells the romance between the two characters is the time they have away from one another. Um, I think the scenes when they're not opposite one another in the in the middle of the movie are just as effective for me as the opening scenes of them together or even the concluding scenes of them together. And I think that's what really sells the romance in the movie is how much you get to know these people separate from one another while they're also thinking about one another. And were it not for those scenes, while I think it would still be a good movie, I think um, those scenes are very pivotal to us really caring about everything that they're saying to each other and how they're acting opposite one another. Indeed. And... And we mentioned how this movie like goes from tone to tone, like going from romantic comedy to romantic melodrama to disaster. Um, which uh, section of the film was your favorite? Like the drama part, the comedy part, the disaster part? I think I think it was the comedic part. I think because Gene Arthur especially shines in comedic roles um, and while, while not to not to not to say she's not as effective in her dramatic roles as well I just always think of her as this brilliant comedian in so many films and I think she kind of brings out different notes out of Boyer who, who most of the time would play melodramatic romantic leads versus a comedic one and I think she challenges him to play the more comedic tone and uh, notes and it's very exciting to experience that and that's why i think those parts of the movie are probably my favorite and also this decade is full of such great romantic comedies um that it makes it kind of makes sense for me to enjoy of all the romantic co comedic moments of the movie because this decade just features so many great examples of that genre. I'd have to say I enjoyed the comedy elements most. I mean, the whole movie is just really great at handling these mix of genres, but there's such an exuberance to the romantic element, or the romantic comedy elements. And Gene Arthur was such a genius when it came to screwball comedies. 
I think it's like the more the merrier, um, a foreign affair. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, which is not a straight comedy, but has a lot of comedic elements and one of the uh, sorry, one of the things that made her so great within that genre is her naturalism as an actress and her spontaneity. How she can move from one scene to the next so effortlessly. Also maintaining a, a persona of like nervousness. And it just makes her so enjoyable to watch. And like you said, the way Charles Boyer is able to keep up with her and play off her so well. But yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I think I also enjoy how while they while they are such different um I probably already said this before, while they are kind of three different genres of movies there, the character arcs make make total sense played by the actors. I mean, I don't feel as if in every different genre the characters are that entirely different. They just seem to be the same people just reacting. The same the it make the, the character journeys make sense because of how the actors are selling these roles. And I think that's a great element as well, because I feel like in every scene, these are the same people and I totally understand what they're going through, even while even whether they're going through a romantic comedy or a disaster movie by the end. Yeah, certainly. So, a big part of this movie takes place in Paris, and one of the things I liked about this movie is its settings, such as the um, Chateau Blue restaurant and just the way it looks. And I and just the, the way the streets are designed and scenes with them in a taxi. I do think this movie succeeds in selling Paris's this ideal place to go to. Did you think that this movie um, utilized Paris well as, as a setting in the movie? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, um, <laughs> I think um, it it very much it was the kind of the perfect setting, especially for the romantic comedic scenes at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah, I think while while the film kind of is very globe trotting in the locations that it's set in, it still feels it still feels of one universe. And while there are such different locations things are happening in, I never feel like, again, that everything is so separate from one another. But I do think it really is an effective location for those earlier scenes in the movie. 
yeah, because a common thing you'll find uh, I've found across these 1930s movies is basically escapism. And it makes sense considering that the audience at the time that was going through the Great Depression wanted escapism. And setting in Paris for a big chunk of the movie really does sell the escapism part of the movie. And, you know, Paris is heavily associated with this great, lush, romantic place. I'm just thinking like an American in Paris and Midnight in Paris. A lot of movies do like to use its culture to cultivate a mood of sorts. And yeah, I think this movie does such a great job in that sense. And also just using Paris to further the narrative. But yeah. And I guess the question I have for you, Gabe, is what, what were your thoughts on um, Colin Clive and the Bruce, the husband character? Um, if you, while we've been talking a lot about Paul and Irene, I was curious, what were your thoughts on his presence in the movie and his ultimate end, I guess? I think he works fairly well enough for the villainous husband trying to keep Irene trapped in this marriage, but I guess I didn't think about him as much as I did um, Paul and Irene. I think he serves his purpose well enough. But oddly enough, I just tend to think about Paul and Irene more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, he was he's it's not again it's not that most memorable of roles he kind of fills the part as it's supposed to be um just being the kind of antagonist to the romance that we want to that we're following and want to see come to a a satisfying and happy um, conclusion um i do think it's it's slightly um his end is kind of quite it's quite a dark ending and then when you know that 1937 was also the year that the actor himself passed away and it's kind of it's like the odd ending and it is it is sad that he died so that the actor Colin Clive died so young Mm -hmm. like people know most for um Frankenstein and yeah, it is. It is sad that he died so young, and I do wonder what he could have done had he lived a bit longer. Mm. Yeah, and then what were your thoughts on um, the Caesar character, the kind of best friend, uh, comedic role? He's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think he, yeah, he's a lot of fun when it comes to 
helping Paul with his schemes and machinations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is is such a small little moment, but it's so kind of hilarious when um, he's having a conversation with the chef on the boat and um, has to put on the chef's hat and hold his the can in which um, it features his face on it to kind of let this chef know that he is this, this chef that he admires. It's such a little kind of comedic beat that I don't know why it stuck with me, but it's, it's kind of funny really to think about. Yeah, I agree. So, So, what other moments from the movie did you um, take note of or really like? Um, I think. Well, I I guess we can we could get into the film's ending, um, since it's quite a dramatic um way to yeah. end the movie, um, because that's definitely a moment, especially since it's the ending that kind of sticks with you in the kind of not the kind of titanic um to, for use of a better word uh, ending to this movie with the crossing into the crashing into the iceberg and the couple um reaching a happy ending and because of i guess doors on the ship managed to survive and i hope be together for the rest of their lives um yeah no it the ending it definitely was another direction to go i wasn't i I wasn't expecting it obviously the first i mean this time i was because i'd seen it before but still it's such a surprising turn that the movie takes yes it still was quite satisfying for me and i think following the characters for the hour and a bit before they get to this boat really kind of sold the ending for me and made me actually hope that they would survive because it would have been such a an ending that if they were not to survive together that would be so depressing um yes it doesn't feel like even with them surviving it doesn't feel unnatural it it, it still makes sense it doesn't feel like a i we need them to survive it just it makes sense in the universe i guess Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think of the way the movie looked? I think this being a Frank Borzage movie, I keep associating the word heavenly with them. It has that glowing, blissful look that I associate with his movies, with the cinematography and Greg Toland did some uncredited work, so that helps a lot. And the production design, it all looked so 
it looks like a classy, elegant production, and you just want to escape into it. At least for me. So, what did you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of great、um, images to this movie, and I think one of the great kind of beautiful parts of the movie is how Jean Arthur, especially, is、uh, photographed. I find even when she's in a kind of sadder mood because she's post this one night kind of affair with the Paul character, even during a, even feeling more depressed and having to be forced into this marriage, she just is. It's so beautiful to watch her. her Her face really is so expressive, and while there's a lot of light going. On her face, you still see her features shine through. I think that must be it. It, it must be congratulated. I think、um, it's so effective for me. And then even kind of the more major images of the boat sinking, to put quotation marks on it, or the kind of quickness and fun that comes. Through their affair at the start, their I guess affair, but kind of burgeoning、um, origins of their romance at the beginning is so well captured and so romantic that it's all just so much to take in, but so beautiful to take in as well, and so such a welcome film for me. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the things I do like about 1930s cinema,、um, and 1940s for that matter, is that there's a baseline of like technical competence, where we have these like well-regarded, high-class cinematographers and composers and art directors, who are just there to make the movie look so glossy and elegant. And this is no exception, especially with Frank Borsage, who's a borderline auteur, and has a very specific style of filmmaking. And the more I think about it, the more I, it's almost wild that this got past the censors, like in the Hays Code era. Because, like I said, there's a lot of transgressive stuff going on here. If you really dig into the plot. There's adultery. There's attempted murder. There. Yeah, it's definitely. It feels so contemporary. Yes, of the time as well. I mean, it's totally the story that's going on feels of the '30s, but also, as you say, the themes that are covered are so. What we would be allowed to see in modern movies, and I think that's what makes the film last for me, is how modern yet of the time it feels. Um, it's definitely of all the Jean Arthur movies, they're kind of while she's such a of the time actress, and she still feels very contemporary as well. This plot wise, I think, is the most um. Modern feeling of her movies, and doesn't feel hampered down by what the Hayes Code allowed people and didn't allow people to do during the time. 
yeah, a lot of directors did sidestep the Hays Code in many different ways. And they had to be very creative about the way they got through things. And whether it be including subtle innuendos or just very subtle language to express some stuff that once you catch on it, you realize how dirty it really is. Yeah, absolutely. It's a film that, while not fully appreciated during its time from reading, at least quick kind of entries on it, is now years later so well appreciated. Um, like I feel like I see so many people loving this film and obviously with the idea you have for the Gene Arthur miniseries, it's just, it's just so great to see people who love her just as much as I do. She's such... I, I w- used to, I would used to say an underrated actress, but there are so many people who appreciate everything that she did during the time that I don't feel like I can say that anymore, which is so exciting to think. Yeah. Um, I am planning to like look up reviews um, of this from at the time to see what the opinion on it was. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe I just imagine since it was not embraced by awards bodies at the time that it was seen as um, an underrated movie at the time. But for me, I just, I hear people, I feel like while a lot of people have seen it, more people should be seeing it as well. And I guess by having this conversation with you, I hope that people, if they see the name and hear what we have to th- hear, what we think about it, we'll check it out because it's a film that definitely deserves eyes on it. Yeah, definitely. So, I'd also be remiss not to mention the other movie Gene Autry made this year. Easy living. It's got a great Preston Sturgis screenplay and it's directed by Mitchell Leeson, who I think is a very underrated director for his time. And I think this is um I think this pairs are up with Ray Milans. Either mm-hmm. him or Joel. And yeah. what did you think of that movie? Yeah, I, re- I really enjoy that movie. Um, I think while Gene Arthur, it, it's a typical screw, screwball comedy from this era. She's wonderful in it as well. Um, I mean, for me, when I think about that movie, the person who I straight away go to is Edward Arnold in such a great comedic turn. Um, but still, it's uh, it's definitely it definitely shows that Gene Arthur had the range. I mean, when you look at these two movies and see how they came out in the same year, you're kind of like, why are more people not talking about her? Um, she can show everything she did. I mean, in this one year, she, well, I guess in this one movie, she showed how she's both the greatest comedian, the greatest dramatic actress, and then also such a movie star who can star in a disaster flick. 
But I think Easy Living is a film that people should watch as well. Um, if you want to really understand what a lot of people think is Gina Arthur at her best. Yeah. It's such a unique, rare movie where it mentions so much in just an hour and 35 minutes. But it succeeds on every level goes for because it has a director who knows him how to handle all these tones just because of the style he is used to making films in and again Gene Arthur and Charles Boyer just have really brilliant chemistry and yeah this is like one of those great movies that I think should be played on if you're feeling like a really romantic night It definitely deserves um, recognition and reappraisal. And I'm glad you chose it for um, for this, uh, for our entry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, looking at the Wikipedia page, I'm seeing that the movie was released um, on Blu-ray and DVD by the Criterion Channel earlier this year. So I hope that a lot of people have being able, I know a lot of people in the States, especially, are such big fans of Criterion Channel due to, act, due to more access to it than, say, someone like me in Europe. Um, but seeing that movie be put up there on the platform, such as the Criterion Channel, um, or being a part of the collection, I hope um, forces people into watching it because it's such a kind of great movie from the time, but also while being a great movie from the time, isn't stale because of the time it came out it's just as fresh and exciting over 70 years later and I couldn't think of any other film I mean I could think of other films to talk about Gina Arthur but for me I had to talk about this one because it's one of her best but also one of those underrated ones and underseen ones that I wish more people would see absolutely so, um, even though this didn't receive any Oscar nominations, um, I guess to keep in the theme of uh, this series, even though we already said all our Oscar nominations for this movie in our previous episode, would we like to go over again um, how many nominations we'd give it? Yeah, sure. We can do that. So I gave it a win for film editing and nominations for picture, director for Frank Borzage, best actress for Jean Arthur, best original screenplay, best cinematography, and best special effects. And for me, I gave it, and uh, unfortunately no wins, but nominations for director for Borzage, leading actor for Boyer, leading actress for Jean Arthur, original screenplay for I well I won't say all the names is far too many it's far too many names to say and then an original score nomination but I do want to say the film is sixth on my list for the top 10 movies of the year so it's just it just this is my picture field um by a very close margin but yeah it's 
it's a great movie and um, I wish it had gotten awards nominations clearly based on where I would have nominated it. Yeah. Um, definitely. So, do you have any final thoughts on this movie before we wrap up? Um, I think just to mention one more time, people, please see it. I, um, I, pr- I, I think it's worth your time. And while we're while your podcast is in the middle of appreciating Gene Arthur, I hope that people are watching along um, the movies you're going to cover, and then also maybe ones that aren't covered because while she doesn't have the longest of filmographies, every single feature of hers is so worth a watch and this and this I hope is top amongst them all definitely so with that said Owen thank you so much for agreeing to appear on this uh, agreeing to appear on this podcast again I had a wonderful time discussing this movie with you As I, thank you so much for having me back um, it was great to, while, while it's my third time back, each time we've had such different types of conversations, whether it was the first time discussing that current year's Oscar ceremony or the films in 1937, and now a miniseries episode. Um, it's always fun to have a, such a different type of conversation every time. Yeah, definitely. So um, how can we find you on social media and um, and your blog? Yeah, I mean, I mostly talk about films on Twitter. Um, my handle being um, at owndaily, E-O-I-N-D-A-I-L-Y. Um, I post a lot about movies there. You can also find a link in my profile to my link, uh, not my LinkedIn, sorry, my letterbox page where I log all the films that I see and try to com- um, complete my kind of alternative um, Oscar list as well and also films from the year that I've seen and my blog which I twice yearly post my best for television and movies is an Irish person awards at Blogspot and um, it's also linked in my letterbox so kind of Everywhere that you find me, you'll find a link to um, other places where I talk about film and television. That's great to hear. So um, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe the Joker with two underscores. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. You can find me on Instagram at Gabe Guan, uh, Gabe Guan with a single underscore. It's my name. Um, be sure to follow the Alternate Oscars page at Alternate Oscars. I also have a Patreon page. I'll link it in the description. Um, be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake and subscribe through whatever uh, server you use. And until the next episode, sit back and relax. Cheers and enjoy. And thank you for listening to the Alternate Oscars.